Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hey everybody. Welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is your host, RJ. It's just me today. I'm doing a quick intro before we get into the show. We have a special episode for you today. It's something called Drew's Corner. Our friend Drew Hits is going to take you on a musical adventure through some of the best shows he's attended. And we're going to try to bring you this every month or so. Drew's one of my favorite guests to have on the podcast. He has a really cool perspective on fish. He has a musician's kind of take on it. But he also has... A memory for the music that I just think is really cool. So we hope you enjoy it. And of course, give us feedback and let us know what you think. Before we get into the show, we want to tell you once again about Freak Flag Flying. I know Cyrus podcast. I just finished episode four today. I was really moved by it. It's just a beautiful and somewhat heartbreaking series with David Crosby talking about his life. It's in its second to last episode. For episode five, the final episode, 
Tom Marshall will interview Steve Silberman, the host, to talk about the experience and to play some music and cuts that hadn't been heard yet. As some of you might know, Tom and I got the opportunity last week to sit down with the guys from Goose, two of the guys, Rick and Peter from Goose, at the Brooklyn Podcast Festival, and we're going to be releasing that in two parts on Under the Scales this week. There's some acoustic tunes, interviews, and uh, it's really fun. We talked about Fish, we talked about Goose, we played some... We didn't, I didn't. They played some Goose songs. They actually played a couple Fish songs, too. We'll put a link in the show notes. Hope you enjoy it. We're going to try to do more events like that, which we called Evening with Osiris, combining the podcast and live music experience. So keep your eye out for that. We hope you like it. Again, give us some feedback. Today, I want to tell you about a brand new podcast I'm really loving. It's called 27 Club, and it's hosted by Jake Brennan, the creator and host of Disgraceland which was iHeartRadio's Best Music Podcast winner in 2019. 27 Club tells the stories of musical icons who all died at the age of 27, and season one is all about Jimi Hendrix. Everyone loves Jimi Hendrix, possibly the greatest rock and roll guitar player of all time. Died mysteriously at the age of 27, and he was a busy guy. He was busy getting kidnapped, busy running from the mafia, busy stealing trucks with Neil Young, trying to get to Woodstock on time. He was fired by Little Richard, arrested by cops, dosed with LSD by his manager on stage in front of thousands, and haunted by the ghost of the Rolling Stones' Brian Jones. All of these Jimi Hendrix stories and more are going to come at you in Season 1 of The 27 Club. So if you like Disgraceland, Jimi Hendrix, larger-than-life rock stars, or just plain old mystery and drama, you'll probably love 27 Club. So you can subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And one last thing before we get into it. As we kick off the new year, it's time to say goodbye to a few things that we won't be bringing into this decade. Things like Cancelled Curveball. And years with no fall fish tours, probably. And last but not least, your old wireless plan and insane monthly bill. I definitely won't miss it because I switched to Mint Mobile. They can cut your bill down to 15 bucks a month. Seriously, it's the easiest decision you can make. I switched over, had great coverage, and I'm paying a lot less money, which is pretty cool. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text plus 4G LTE. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your phone number, your contacts, etc. If you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Kick off the year the right way and switch to Mint Mobile. So you can get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Get the plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com slash hfpod. Say it with me. Mintmobile.com slash hfpod. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hfpod. I really should have someone doing this with me. I'm end up talking to myself. Can you hear me? All right, let's get into the very first Jews Corner now, where he's going to tell us about his experience at December 31st, 1993, and how it influenced his work as a musician. We're also going to hear a bunch of music from that show, of course, and we'll be back again with another episode of the Helping Friendly Podcast in just a couple weeks. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already, or wherever you get your podcasts. We want to hear from you. Send us emails, tweets, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, whatever. Just send us messages. See you all next time. Keep on rocking. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the HF Pod. I am your host, Drew Hits, and I have been asked by the regular hosts to 
take a little trip down memory lane with you from my first show, which was New Year's 93 at the Worcester Centrum. First, a little bit about me. I have appeared on a couple of HF Pod normal episodes and also a couple of quick hits with RJ. And I am a professional musician. I teach at Shenandoah Conservatory. I teach music entrepreneurship as well as tuba and euphonium. And I'm a professional tuba player. Yes, that actually is a thing, believe it or not. Uh, But I am an enormous fish fan and I have been obsessed with this band as I'm about to get into with you since about a minute into the llama opener of my first show I completely lost my mind and I have been obsessed with them both financially and spiritually ever since that day almost 26 years ago so I am going to play just a few clips I I wanted to share that first show experience that I had and just how knocked out I was as a classically trained musician. And I had seen a ton of rock and roll concerts up until that point, but I had seen the Boston Symphony probably 200 times by the time I saw this concert when I was 18. And I had seen uh, a lot. I had seen Aerosmith and Metallica and Faith No More and Guns N' Roses and like a lot of of rock and roll, Pearl Jam, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Smashing Pumpkins, I mean, the Soundgarden, the list goes on and on. So I was a huge rock and roll fan, but I, my life was changed by this Fish show, which anybody who's listening to a Fish podcast can probably say those exact same words. And I just wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive into exactly what it was that really blew me away that night. Very quickly, I also wanted to make a plug. I am on the board of directors of the Mockingbird Foundation, and I just wanted to thank everyone who has donated to Mockingbird in the past. We are a fish fan run charity that we, if you are not familiar with us, we have now handed out with your help, I think it's over $1.3 million worth of money to help further music education across the United States. And it's it's one of my favorite things that I do in my entire life is how I am able to serve Mockingbird. And uh, we've actually have a few years ago started a really cool thing, which is called Tour Grants, which is that anytime that the band goes on tour, that uh, once per venue, we will find a, 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 a an entity to give money to, and we surprise them. This is not solicited. This is above and beyond our normal grant request process, and they just all of a sudden get a check from the Mockingbird Foundation saying, thank you for all you do, and we are fish fans, and fish is playing in your town, and here is some money. And the emails that we get back from that, you would not believe. They're they're amazing. So thank you to every one of you who has supported Mockingbird. You can go to mbird.org slash donate. Uh, and one option is that you can actually set up an automatic payment via PayPal. It could be $5 a month and you just don't even think about it. You don't even miss it. $10 a month, anything. But anyone who has donated from $1 to $10,000, we literally could not do what we do without your help. So thank you so much. All right, so first of all, this the clips that I have chosen for you, these are not exhaustive. If I were to do an exhaustive best of of this legendary three-set fish show, then I would be here until probably tomorrow night. So these are not, and this is not an exhaustive list of the best clips. I just chose some clips from some places that you will expect and then others that are, are a little bit more off the beaten path in terms of highlights just to really accentuate some 
some specific thing that really stuck out to me that night. Uh, and I cannot tell you how crazy it was to me when, and I bet a lot of you have experienced this, so I don't need to tell you that these four guys who do not look like rock stars, uh, there was there was no tight pants. They were all wearing shirts. I mean, again, I had seen a whole bunch of, um, you know, I'd seen a whole bunch of grunge and I'd seen a whole bunch of like the end of like hair metal bands. These four guys who looked like they had just been playing Dungeons and Dragons and then the lyrics lined up with that too, but they just walked out on stage and the stage was decked out in the aquarium for that New Year's run 93, which was really cool. But they just walked out. There was no explosions. Uh, there was no, uh, yeah, there's no pyrotechnics. There was just four guys who just walked out with smiles on their face. And then they, and then they ripped into Llama. The very first uh, clip that I'm going to play for you here was uh, is the very end of Paige's solo in Llama. And I think the first thing that jumped out at me musically was Trey's ferocious rhythm guitar playing underneath Paige's solo. So the first solo I ever heard anybody in the band take was Paige, and his it's great. But I was glued to Trey the entire time. I guess I should have also to paint a picture. Uh, I had a, a friend who, my best friend still uh, to this day, he was going to uh, to the to the fish show, and he had played me a little bit of Junta the summer before, and I I liked it, but it, it didn't click. And uh, and he said he was going to the Worcester Centrum to see fish, and I was like, well, could you maybe try and get me a ticket? And he said, sure, I'll see what I can do. Not only did he get me a ticket, but he got me a ticket for section two, row J, which means that I was I was tenth row dead center uh, for my first fish show. And uh, yeah, and that's when I lost my mind and I gave them the routing number to my checking account on the way out. I'm totally lying. I did not have a checking account. I was 18. But uh, I, I might as well have given them the routing number to my checking account. But this first clip, uh, so Paige is playing his solo, but I could not stop watching Trey. Uh, it was it was comping like the great jazz pianist of old that uh, you know underneath a solo where where Trey was totally dialed in to what Paige was playing, and he was only accentuating what Paige was playing, but he was not at all staying out of the way. He was being very assertive. And, and was like an, uh, an equal partner while still being submissive, if that makes any sense, uh, to the solo. And that's exactly how you do it. So here is a quick clip from the opening llama. love how Trey is having a musical conversation with Trey while also having a side musical conversation at the same time with the rest of the rhythm section there, which again is how the, the best jazz combos to ever exist. That's exactly how they work, where there are times when you are comping and are playing and riffing off of what the drummer's doing, and then other times when you're 
playing and riffing off of what the soloist is doing. Sometimes both. Sometimes you're doing your own thing. And it was just, it immediately blew my mind the level of communication that was going on within this rock band. Okay, the next one is another clip from Llama. And this one features Trey melodically soloing. Uh, and then he briefly goes to this like menacing chordal mess and then right back to the melodic soloing. And then right after that, this was the first time that I ever heard Fish fire off the tension and release cannon. Mike and Fishman are playing a dotted quarter rhythm against the 4-4 of Llama while Trey is playing a blistering run of straight 16th notes until they all arrive on a downbeat and it erupts. This is the first time that I involuntarily screamed at a fish show. There was just some unplanned loud sound that came out of my mouth and this was the this was when I lost my mind for the first time. Uh, Trey wrote a great column for guitar Car World magazine in, in around like 95 about tension and release being the foundation for all of Western tonal music. And Fish was the first ensemble of any genre that I had ever heard that could do the tension and release thing as well as a Mahler symphony, which is what I was really raised on. And I didn't, I, I honestly didn't think, and this wasn't out of being, it wasn't elitism. I just, I didn't think it was possible for a rock band to do the tension and release thing as well as an 80 piece symphony orchestra playing a Mahler symphony, which to me is like the, the height of music. And they did exactly that. So here is, it's, this is not even Trey's entire solo. This is just a, a brief clip from Trey's Llama solo from New Year's 93. virtuosity of that drumming of that guitar playing it's just it's amazing yeah that that clip i remember that was the first time when i swung my attention over to fishman keep in mind this is like three minutes into my first fish show but the end of that clip i looked over at fishman and i i think i stopped dancing i was like my jaw was absolutely on the not very clean floor of the worcester centrum and i was like Oh, and yeah, it just it just blew my mind. So, all right, that was my uh, my my opening llama. So, and in an interesting trivia piece, which none of you may find interesting, is that Llama opened my first three fish shows, which is kind of crazy and very odd. The The next show that I saw was just two shows later. Uh, this will tell you how bad I got it right out of the gate was that I drove 10 hours each way uh, in the middle of the week to go to a show in Toronto, Ontario on 4694. 
and uh, and even uh, managed to crash a van on the way home in a blizzard and uh, snapped an axle. And um, yeah, not sure how everyone lived, but we did. So uh, so that show opened with Llama, and then seven eight ninety four, uh, the 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 legendary show at Great Woods was my third show, and they started Llama, and that was my first semi jaded moment when I was like, I really love Llama, but I was like, really. And then uh, about two and a half minutes later, when it segued into Nitrous and then into a full game henge, I was no longer jaded. So, but yeah, that was the first of three consecutive llama openers for me. All right. The next one is, next clip is from Reba. And Reba is, is one of Fish's most impressive compositions, in my opinion, not only the the writing, but then also its execution. So it's both the composition and the playing just really, really knocked me out. I would like to play this next clip, this brief clip twice, actually. The first time uh, through, I want you to listen to how much Paige and Trey are matching the note beginnings, which are also called articulations, the note endings, which are called releases, the flow of the line, the relationship of pickup notes and downbeats, uh, the weight of each individual note. It's it's unbelievable. It sounds, you're going to hear Paige actually comes in on the, the very first note just a split second early. The rest of it sounds like one person is playing both instruments. And to match all of those things, note beginnings, weight, direction, note endings, all of that on anything is really difficult. But to do it on something that is as technically demanding as this section of Reba, and I was completely knocked out. So here is the first pass through focus on Paige and Trey. Okay, let's listen to this clip one more time, and this time listen to just Fishman and Mike. They are playing these incredibly intricate lines that are completely independent, and yet they occasionally line up with splash cymbal hits from Fishman that are accentuating parts of Mike's line. It's brilliant writing. Another aspect of the writing that's really brilliant is that Fishman is only playing his snare drum, his toms, and his hi-hat, which he's just keeping time with, with his left leg. There's no other cymbals at all, and so it leaves a lot of sonic room for Trey and Page's melodic line to be heard without having to strain to hear it. How you write music is very important in terms of, in the classical world, we call it orchestrating, which in that's not strictly for the classical world, but it's what instruments are playing what and what registers. And so if you were playing other cymbals, you could still hear Fishman, you, you could still hear Trey and Page's line, but this way it kind of gets them out of the way. And it's kind of like this lower sound that also it just helps to accentuate this. It's just really good writing. So listen to Fishman and Mike on this pass through this section of Reba. Thank you. 
next we are going to listen to the part of Reba where the jam groove first comes in after all of that crazy intricate composed stuff this groove always feels like a giant exhale to me and i i couldn't believe that they were playing all of that just highly technical stuff and then just the smoothest groove just emerged out of nowhere to my ears because i had never heard this tune before when Trey finally enters in, he goes a little while where he's just kind of, you know, making a few little rhythmic sounds. When he finally comes in, he immediately brings the volume down and the entire band follows him instantly. That is, this is a band I was, I was struck right away that this is a band that four, four gentlemen who are all playing with tons of opinions and yet they are always awaiting more data from each other that can and does affect whatever they are doing it's like and this is just great chamber musicianship and by the way the working definition i use of chamber music in the in the classical context is just one person per part so like a large orchestra is not chamber music uh, but like say a brass quintet like i used to play in professionally or a string quartet or that kind of thing and any great rock band is a, is a, is a chamber group although they don't always play that way there are some bands that i've loved that just kind of all play with each other but there's not a lot of really enlightened conversation going if you will and uh, and this band that's like that's all they do uh, all the time so um yeah the the entire band follows him down instantly all three other members not only get softer but they also start leaving lots of space mike almost completely stops playing he leaves like some big holes and then he's also up in the high register and the only symbol again that fishman is playing is a closed hi-hat so it just kind of immediately paints this very serene vibe, which of course we know where this is going, right? Because this is not just a Reba, this is like a 93 Reba. And so this thing is going to the mountaintop and it's only a more impressive climb when you start down that low and they make you wait for this. And I, and I didn't know where this was going. I'd never heard this. And then, well, yeah, then I completely lost my mind when it went there. So Let's listen to this clip from the very beginning of the jam section of Reba. Thank you. 
love how that last arrival that we just faded out right afterwards, that you can tell that that arrival is coming from four measures away and that the entire band is going to land back in and it still lands gently and it's just, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, that, that is... That is good stuff right there. And if you've never listened to that Reba, then for the love of all things holy, stop listening to my voice right now and go listen to the entire Reba right now because it's yeah, it's spectacular. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. All right, next up is Tweezer, which opened the second set of this show. And this clip that I am about to play for you, the the, the second peak in this clip is one of the single happiest moments of my life. It's And it's amazing, and when you're into music, like I'm guessing you are if you're listening to this, that we get these souvenirs where we get to listen to music anytime we want. But this was the moment when I, you know, you're going to hear in this clip, there's there's one peak which comes after the band plays a lot of uh, trace playing this very staccatissimo which which means like very very separated uh playing it's very choppy but it's just it's just very patiently lurking forward not lunging but just very very slowly grinding forward and then there's finally the release but then it's the second clip or the second peak of this clip when I I lost my mind. I remembered uh, turning around and seeing uh, people dancing uh, and like over across the aisle and there were just like it was the happiest group of humans that I had ever been with in my life and this was when I fell head and head over heels in love with Tweezer. You're gonna hear a uh, Fishman and Mike in this clip. They um, they start playing this this very cool pattern. It's like every other bar they're playing on the they're playing on the E and the U uh of three and four. And what that means is that when you a sixteenth note, there are four sixteenth notes per per beat. And if you count it as one E and a uh, two E and a, uh, then playing on the E and the a uh, is the second and fourth 16th note of each beat. So it's like E, uh, E, uh, E, uh, E, uh, and they play that pattern together. Fishman starts it with the splash cymbals. Then Mike joins him. Then Fishman plays it on the snare drum and the kick drum. And, uh, and then it ends up coming back around again. It's just this very cool rhythmic thing. When it comes back, he starts playing it all the way across the bar. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a very cool rhythmic effect because he's not, they're not actually playing and Fishman, uh, and, and Mike were playing downbeats on uh, in other parts of this and but it's very cool hearing this uh, two four two four two four because it just is constantly kind of leading you with this with this rhythmic forward momentum 
And then Fishman again brings it back uh, the during the, the the last climax of this tune. And then this tweezer, we're going to fade out right as it hits. But this tweezer has the traditional tweezer ending where it um, it arrives and then slowly, you know, grinds down to a halt. But uh, yeah, this this made me very happy. So hopefully it will make you happy as well. Here is a short clip from the tweezer from New Year's 93. Holy crap, does that make me happy. All right, moving right along. Next, I wanted to hit the split open and melt. Uh, And I'm skipping so much stuff here. I couldn't believe it when they were singing the harmony in I Didn't Know. I was blown away by the the You Enjoy Myself. How many times have I said blown away? Uh, Yeah, that would make a good drinking game, I think, at this point. 
I run out of words pretty quickly to describe how impactful this evening was on my musicianship, on my career, and on my soul. So I just keep saying things like blown away. So I'll try and say it no more than five times between now and when I'm done. And there's only two clips left, but I think I can do it. So the the next up is is split open and melt and the the snare drum work from Fishman about 15 seconds into this clip is amazing his playing off of the lines around him sounds like a jazz great like Art Blakey i mean it's like really really great and you hear how he is keeping his job of providing the rhythmic foundation going around him while also playing this really interesting it's very similar actually to the rhythm guitar that trey was playing way back in llama which is like it keeps on changing he's underneath but he's also fulfilling all of his responsibilities that he has on top of that it's um yeah he both he and mike have this ability to play a million notes while never abandoning what their core function is that really goes for mike because in general bass players that play tons of notes i can't stand i call it the bitar where it's just a guitar but it's down an octave and it just sounds muddy and terrible and mike has an ability uh, as he does at the at the end of this clip you're about to hear uh they actually all get uh, busier and busier and busier as this thing lunges towards the finish and yet they all just keep on nailing the rhythmic turnaround and it's yeah the this is uh th well this is like peak rhythmic tension and release fish right here uh the so speaking of this this rhythmic thing it's basically the way to th that you can think about this is that this is in this split open and melt jam is in four four but that every fourth measure there's an extra eighth note so it's basically like a nine eight bar and the the those the two hits basically are three four one and but three and four, so it's just two quarter note pickups to the downbeat. The problem is that the those three, four, one comes an eighth note later than where it quote unquote should according to the to, to the measure before it. So it's like one, two, three, three, four, one. Notice I said three twice there. So yeah, I'm not sure exactly how they count it. Uh, well, I'm, I know how they count it. They don't. Uh, they don't count it. They just feel it at this point. So, but you can hear that uh, even as things get busier and crazier in all four parts, all four of them are getting busier. And as this thing goes to its conclusion. And they continually just keep on nailing, collectively nailing those, so, you know, that three, four, one pattern. Uh, yeah, that when they have been at their peak rhythmically over the years, they can they they nail that turnaround every time. And there's a couple of times in this melt when Trey is uh, soloing melodically over across that that um, you know that 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 five four bar, if you want to think of it in uh, in terms of fast or nine eight bar, it just it depends on how you want to lay it out. If uh, you can either think of it as every eighth bar is a five four bar, or that every fourth bar is probably this is more accurate is a, is a nine eight bar. But Trey will like melodically solo over that effortlessly. Some of my favorite melts will feature Trey playing some sort of a rhythmic figure that he keeps repeating in four four, and then he intentionally ignores the extra eighth note meaning that the downbeats, then his pattern gets offset by a half a beat, uh, according to the rest of the band. So then his what what was downbeats becomes offbeats, and what's offbeats becomes downbeats. And then sometimes he'll do that multiple times around. And then if you wait another four bars, then again, the, 
the downbeats become downbeats again and et cetera. And it's just, there's just brilliant rhythmic interplay that has happened historically through melt. And it took me a second to be able to count this and figure out what the hell they were doing on that night, but I finally got it. And, um, and this was mashing every one of my buttons as a music geek. So, all right, here is a clip from the split open and melt.
Okay, one more clip, and this is not a clip. This is going to be an entire tune because I would not be able to clip this if you offered to pay me a lot of money. And this is the Harry Hood from the third set. This is well after midnight at this point. And this is, many consider this to be the greatest Hood ever played. It is certainly in the conversation with everyone. This is... The first time I ever heard the song Harry Hood was this from 10th Row on the floor. And this moved me in a way that um, that music had rarely moved me ever. And like I already shared, uh, which hopefully didn't sound like name dropping, I just wanted to paint the picture of how much music. My life was music. I was a music major in college when I saw this. I was a music performance major at Northwestern. And my, I dedicated my entire life to music. And, and yet with all of that experience as both a performer and a player, this concert affected me in a way that I didn't think that any additional concert ever could. I mean, it, it literally changed the course of my life. And this Harry Hood was absolutely everything. Uh, one thing I will say is that the Auld Lang Syne tease that Trey plays at the beginning of this hood, and particularly how he gets out of that tease and gets into the rest of the jam, might be the single slickest thing that he has ever played. And I don't say that lightly. It's just, it's just exquisite. It gives, it gives me goosebumps every single time that I hear it, and uh, the the patience of this hood, the intense patience of this hood, and the payout, and it's just, yeah, it's incredible. And I told you that my 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 best friend had played me a little bit of Junta. We were actually students at Tanglewood playing in the Young Artists Orchestra there at the Boston University Tanglewood Institute. And he played me uh, Junta, and and I knew uh, a, a handful of tunes from Junta. And again, I appreciated them, but I didn't like go and buy the album myself. But there were I Knew Fee, which they played. I knew, I wanted to hear David Bowie, and I remember I was said that on the way in to somebody like, oh, maybe they'll play that. And then somebody said, actually, they opened with it last night. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. But I, I knew a few tunes that they played. I knew Fee, which they played, and then then the only tune that I didn't know or that I knew that they hadn't played was Golgi, which they played for the encore, and I lost it. And yeah, it was just everything about this entire night was perfect. And I was, well, the course of my life was changed. Insert all hyperbole here. So I'm just going to play this entire Harry Hood for you um, on the way out. I'm going to sign off now. Uh, enjoy. If by some miracle you have never heard this, I am jealous that you are getting to hear this for the first time because it's really special. And a thank you to uh, all of my friends at HF Pod for allowing me to host this special episode of the podcast. And I hope that you have enjoyed this. And without further ado, let's listen to the Harry Hood from New Year's 93.
Mr. Finer.
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. 